All right, so we're on our last week of our series called No Worries. And so we have been talking about worry and how to do less of it. In week one, we, right out of the gate, um, we kind of, Matthew 6 has been our theme verse. And so we've been there uh, every single week, Matthew 6, just about 10, 11 verses in there, uh, verses 24 through 34. So week one, we went through the first five or six verses. Last week, we looked at every verse, but the last verse there, uh, verse 34. And so Jesus' prescription for worry was, go find some birds. Yeah, you know, no, go, go check out the flowers. No, he's, but his prescription for worry was birds and flowers. He said, look at the birds, look at the flowers. It wasn't that he wants us to become a bird or a flower, but he said there's some things you can learn from the birds and the flowers. And I think that we've learned, I've learned a lot from birds and flowers. Uh, just, uh, so we, we've had some good conversation the last two weeks. But the last verse, verse 34, so he starts off this talk with on worry and he asks questions, but he makes two statements. Last week was, was the statement, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And then all this stuff you're worried about is going to come as a bonus, right? And then he makes another statement here, verse 34. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So he says, again, he's making a statement, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. Now, just for a few minutes, I want to come to you on the thought where worry lives. Where it lives. Where does worry live? Because I think worry has a house and has cars and has a nice lawn and a fence and probably has a, a nameplate on the front. Worry lives here, right? But Jesus is showing us something. He's making a statement. He's, he's pulling something out. He's, 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 he's saying you need to take notice where your worry's coming from. He says, he uses the word tomorrow. 1 Kings 19, this is going to be our, our main text this morning. Because there's a story, and I want to kind of unpack it, but use it as a, as a backdrop. About probably one of the greatest prophets that, that we read about in the Old Testament. In Elijah chapter 19, just before we read our verses, chapter 18, Elijah had just literally had the climax moment of his life. He, in, a, in a few words, he called down fire from heaven. There was this big face-off between him and 450 prophets of Baal. Now, Baal worship is pretty, pretty gnarly stuff. They would sacrifice their, their kids to this big golden thing, and um, it was evil, it was bad, and, and God didn't like it. But in that day, King Ahab, who was the king of Israel, his wife Jezebel, they had gotten into some Baal worship. And so God raises up Elijah and says, I need you to go take care of this because it's hurting my people, it's bad for them, it's not good. And so they have a face-off. This is wild. They, they, they say, okay, I, I want you to take all of the prophets of Baal. We're going to go up on Mount Carmel, and we're, we're, going to, we're going to build two altars. And the God that answers by fire is the true God. And so the prophets of Baal went first. They built this altar. They put the, they put the sacrifice on it, and they cried out to their God for hours and hours and hours, and nothing happened. Now, Elijah, being just such a, just bad to the bone like he was, 
sitting, sitting there in the corner on, you know, of his altar, kind of the corner of his ring, and he's like, well, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe you should scream a little louder. Maybe he's hard of hearing. So he starts mocking these folks. They start, I mean, weird stuff. They start cutting themselves. They, they're trying everything they can to get this guy to show up, and it doesn't happen. Elijah steps in. He says, all right, y'all done? Let me show you how it works. Not only did he, <laughs> he says, they're in a drought, y'all. They're in the middle of a drought. It hasn't rained in months and months and months. Like, they're, they're trying to find water for their, for their livestock because it's dying. Elijah says, hey, I want you to go get some barrels of water and soak the altar. Dig a trench around it because I want to put so much water on it, it's going to fill up the trench with water. He prays a short little prayer, uh, uh, verse 36, 37, and fire falls from heaven in front of everybody. Now imagine that this morning, okay? <laughs> you know, like, like, like that made national news, y'all. I mean, this is a big deal. Fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, takes all the water, dries it up. Elijah, you know, he's got his tambourine out. He's shouting. Everybody's happy. Everybody's saying, Elijah's God is the one true God. So he takes all the prophets of Baal, 450. There might have been 850 because there was 400 more prophets of another God there. And he kills them. This is serious, right? Then we pick up on verse 19. So this, is, this was like a win for Elijah. I know that's heavy, y'all. Now Ahab, who's the king of Israel at the time, told Jezebel everything that old Elijah had just done. How he killed all the prophets with the sword. Verse 2, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I don't make your life like one of them. Again, Elijah just called down fire from heaven. Okay? He just took out 850 grown men. These are all prophets. Look at verse 3. This, it just, this, this destroys Elijah. He was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came upon a broom tree, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. Wow. From the mountaintop to the bottom in a day. He just took out 850 people, called down fire from heaven, and now a tweet from the, you know, it's just a messenger. It's a tweet, y'all. Just might as well be a tweet. It was just a threat. From Jezebel has him so afraid. He runs into the desert. He leaves everybody that he needs in his life. He isolates himself. And then he tells God that he's ready to die. A few things about this. Number one, I think the enemy always attacks right after something good happens. And if you, you, and I think we know that now. Like when life gets so good or we have a big breakthrough, you know, success a lot of times can set you up for 
But the second thing is, is, is I, I love the transparency in this because here's Elijah who's the prophet to the world at the time. I mean, he's God's man at the time. And even he got so worried about his own life and so discouraged that he looked at the obituary in the, in the New York Times and said, you know what? They're lucky. <laughs> right? He's reading the obituary and he's saying, man, I wish I could be one of them because the life that God's given me right here, right now, I don't want it. He's worried. He's nervous. And there's a few things that happen before this. And, and I, I, I want you to see just, just one thing. I want you to see what caused it. It was, it was a threat on his life. It was fear of the future. But it came from a woman named Jezebel. And so this is, I think there's a lot in this story, and I wish I had time to go in deeper. But Jezebel's a person, but also Jezebel, I believe, is a spirit. Now, I know that sounds crazy and wacky and weird, but so, this, is, this, was, this, this had Elijah so upside down that it wasn't, we wasn't, we're not really hearing from Elijah here. We're hearing from a discouraged prophet, a discouraged person who is on the run, who's scared for his life, who, who worry has caused him to believe things now that aren't real. And Jezebel facilitated it. This is, again, King Ahab's wife. And I th the reason I think Jezebel's a spirit is because we see this name pop up again in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, where Jesus is writing to the church, us, and he's saying, I've got one thing against you here. You're, you're allowing this spirit of Jezebel to destroy you. And so it's a, I, think, I think there's physical things that happen in our life that get us to worry, but then I think there's real spiritual things that happen to us. I think there's real, there's, there's, you know, we were born into a world at war. Nobody asked for it. There's light and there's dark. There's good and there's evil. And good had just won a great fight and evil was mad. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. And you know, you can do the right thing and still get attacked. Did you know that? You can live right and you can, you can do everything right and do exactly what God tells you to do and calls you to do and have something like this happen. And so he was scared. Is it a spiritual attack? Is it something physical going on with Elijah? Maybe he just wasn't resting. I don't, I don't know. But he ran for his life. And the second thing I want you to see is he ran from everyone in his life that could help him. And that's how I think the second thing when you, you see, you know, there's one thing about getting alone. I, I think there's a difference, y'all, between isolation and solitude. He isolated himself. We're going to read more about it. He ran from the people that loved him. He ran from the people that could help him. And, and, and you know, I've done some running in my life. Right? Anybody? I've, I've ran from the people that I know could help me. I've ran from the places where I knew I could find help. Elijah did the same exact thing. He's running from the people that can help him, and he's, and he's isolating himself. Now, I think the difference between isolation and solitude is isolation is I'm alone with me, and the worry will is turning. And all I'm thinking about is the fear of tomorrow and what is, you know, right, he's got Jezebel who's got a real, like a, you know, threat on his life. 
But again, when I'm alone and I'm worrying about, and it's just me and my thoughts, that can be kind of dangerous sometimes. I, I, so he, isolated, he isolated himself. But when I'm alone with God, it's different. Right? And this is different. He isolated himself. He's scared. He ran. And he hit rock bottom. And look at this next verse. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. Verse, verse 5. And at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. This is the first mention of angel food cake in all the Bible right there. <laughs> he looked around and there by his head was a cake. Come on, somebody. A cake of bread <laughs> baked over hot coals. And so we have angel food cake. As you go out, just take some with you. And if you're worrying, take the cake out. Eat you a few bites. No. A jar of water he ate and he drank and then he laid down again. And this is, again, I, I think I... I I, I feel like I've been here. I think you've been here. Where you're so tired and you're so discouraged that you just want to lay in bed. And, and, and there, there's, there's some, there's some let's, let's keep going, let's keep going. The angel of the Lord came back a second time. Said, get up and eat. This ain't good. Your journey's too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by that food. He went 40 days, 40 nights till he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this is an important place. This is, where, this is where people went to meet with God. This is Mount Sinai. This is where God gave the commandments. So there, verse 9, he went into a cave and he spent the night. And here's, here's where I want to land right here. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? You're not supposed to be here. What's going on, Elijah? What, what are you doing here, Elijah? When God asks a question, it's probably a good thing to underline it. Because he already knows the answer. And he asks Elijah this question twice. He asks him again in verse 14. What are you doing here, Elijah? And so really briefly, I want to jump into this. Number one. There's a lot that happens in this story that God does to help Elijah. Number, the first thing he, he does is, is, is he sends an angel that cooks him food, gives him some water, and he lays down and he rests. And I think when we're worried or we're really, I mean, I mean, there's a difference between being worried and reading the obituaries and thinking, man, that's a good way to out. That's, that's probably one of my, uh, that's, a, that's an option on the list. And so if we're there, we're, we're tired. Elijah was drained. And so God starts to take care of his physical body. And so a lot of times in church, it's all spiritual. We don't want to talk about physical and health and body. But, but there's a lot of times where I know in my life I'm worried and I'm stressed and I'm strained because it's 9 p.m. and I haven't eaten anything and I'm on my 10th cup of coffee. Come on, right? Or I'm just physically, I'm just out of, I'm just out of it. I'm not taking care of myself because I'm so, and a lot of you in here are leaders and I know that. And I, and I want you to see this with Elijah is, is he got so low again. He was, he was so discouraged, but this happens more than once. And it usually happens with leaders in the Bible. Jeremiah got to that same place. 
Paul, what's with Saul, with Paul, Paul got to that same place. He got so strained, he said, Lord, I'd rather be absent from this body and be present with you. Job talks about this same kind of pressure that was on his life. Moses got so overwhelmed with the calling that God gave him that he talked about it. And so I want you to see that it's not this weird thing that, that, that it happens. But it's how we respond to it. And so what, what Elijah did is he isolated himself. He got alone and, 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 and it wasn't good. And so God starts taking care of his physical needs. Sometimes, y'all, you just need a nap. Right? I want to give you permission to go home today and take a nap. Rest. Students, I mean, rest. Your body needs it. God even models it, right? It's the Sabbath. It's higher up on the list than like killing people, right? It really is. I mean, he said, I want you to honor the Sabbath. What does that mean, honoring the Sabbath? It means making sure rest and shutting down is on your list of important things every single week. But when you've got so much going on and you're working for God or you're working for whoever you work for and there's a lot of people that are depending on you, hundreds of people need you available and need you present and I know and I hear that. But if you don't get away for a while and rest, and so that's what God does. The first thing he does with Elijah before he really says anything is he says, I need you to eat, I need you to drink, I need you to take care of yourself, and I need you to rest. It's amazing what just those few things right there can do for worry, right? It's amazing what just those things, taking a Sabbath and putting it down for one day, it really, it allows God to pick it up and start working on it. Because I found when I get so close to something or involved in something where it's got me worried and strained and stressed, the, the best thing I can do is just get away from it for a little bit. And so Elijah, God's feeding him, God's taking care of his needs, and then, he, and then he sends him to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, which is basically the meeting place where God would show up and meet with people. And so that's the second thing that God says. I want you to go to Horeb, this, I want you to meet with me, I want you to talk with me. Don't, don't be alone by yourself, be alone with me. Don't, don't just be alone in your thoughts and, and allow that stuff to just... Me don't worry about tomorrow. Can you hear Jesus saying it? Tomorrow will worry about itself. I want you to be here with me right now. Let's, 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 I want to string, I've got something I want to say to you. I want, I've got something I need to get inside of you. I've got something I want to deposit in, inside of you. And I can't do it if you're worried about next week or next month or next year. And it's just breaking news all the time. Come on. Then he speaks to him. That's another thing that he, he says a few verses down. He says, I want you to go, come out of your cave, Elijah, and I'm going to talk to you. And there was an earthquake, and there was a fire, and there was this wind and tornado, and God wasn't in all of that. But he says there was a still, small voice that spoke. Why am I saying all this? Because I don't think it's just a, if you're worried and you're, you're discouraged and this is becoming something that you're dealing with on a daily basis i i think the first step in getting better is accept that overcoming worry is a process not just like a quick fix it's a process 
For Elijah, it was a process. He had to eat, he had to drink, he had to lay down. He did that two days. Eat, drink, lay down. He had to go, to, he wanted, he had to go and meet with God. I think we all have those places in our life where we just feel closer to God. There's places in our life where we felt God speak to us. Like I've, I've got, I can count on one hand how many times I've felt like God has spoken to me. It wasn't like an audible voice, but in my spirit I felt God spoke to me. And when I get worried, I go to those places. One of them is a house I grew up in off of Old Dirt Road. A friend of mine's a realtor and got me in one time. And I just went and sat in the room where I heard the voice of God for the first time. And it helped me. It reminded me, because it's amazing how worries about tomorrow can completely erase God's faithfulness for today. And you got to go back to the last place where God was faithful and say, I'm going to sit right here for just a little bit. And I'm going to remind myself of how I started with nothing and how I started, you know, where God took me... Come on now, help me, help me with this. I'm going to go back to the place where I heard God the last time. Because worry is just, is just blurring what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing. You can't, you can't trust your emotions. You can't trust your feelings. Elijah felt like giving up, but your feelings will lie to you. Come on, somebody. They're an indicator. It's like the gauges in your truck. They just let you know something, maybe something's off here. That light turns on. It's, it's, it's letting you know there's, we need to do some work under the hood here. Elijah was feeling depleted. He felt like giving up. He didn't even feel like pushing on again. But God began to work on him, and it's a process. And so I'm just saying, if you are a chronic worrier, you feel like you could win an Olympic medal in worrying, don't give up because it's a process, right? God is taking you somewhere. God is going to... He's going to help you through whatever it is that you're facing. And for Elijah, it was this fear of the future. It was tomorrow. It was what's going to happen next. I've got this, this person that's out to get me. The second thing I feel like we see in this story with, with Elijah is that he was honest with God. He didn't hide anything. And I think when it comes to worry, it's specifically around, you start feeling like Elijah was feeling. Be honest with somebody. See, his first reaction was to get alone, and he left his, his friend that was with him. His, he left him, and he got farther away from him. And I think that's the pull that's the normal reaction or the normal response when we're worried or concerned or going through something. We just want to get away from people. But a lot of times it's, there's a person that God will bring into your life that's going to help you. And we need people. We need relationships. We need, we need people around us when we're feeling worried and we're feeling like this. I, I, this is in your notes if you text it in. But just a few things, what, what not to say to, if you have a worrier in your life, I know you don't worry, but if you have a worrier in your life, and, and maybe you brought them here, so don't look at them, this is what you shouldn't say. Like if I was sitting down with Elijah in the cave right now, you should try harder, Elijah. Come on now, you can snap out of this. Just, just try a little harder, and I'm sure you'll feel better in no time. Don't say that. Disbelieving. Don't, don't, don't say something like, well, you suffer, you suffer from worry? You have anxiety, depression, but you're always smiling, Elijah. 
You seem so positive and upbeat. How can you be a worrier? Don't say that. Over-spiritualizing. This is my favorite. Hey, Elijah, what does your quiet time look like in the mornings? Are you reading your Bible enough? Do y'all want some more of what not to say? Minimizing it. Well, I'm sure you feel bad, but honestly, it could be a whole lot worse, okay? I got three people trying to kill me, Elijah, okay? You got one person. Comparing. This is what we, this is, I, I struggle with this. Because we just, I think as human beings, if somebody tells you a story about a bird, you're going to remember a story about your bird that you had when you were five, you know what I mean? And, and so we start trying to compare a lot. I know it's hard for you right now, but have you thought about what it must be like for people suffering bigger losses? Maybe you just need to consider helping others instead of focusing on yourself so much. I don't know. Here we go. Here, this is what you should do. This is in your notes if you want to text it in. Because I, I have to look at this quite a bit. This came out of the book called Coming Out of Your Cave by Pastor Chris Hodges. Commit. If you have a worrier in your life, somebody that's going through a tough season, commit. I'm here to sit with you wherever you are right now. I'll listen and be with you no matter what you're facing. You don't have to say a word. You got a worrier in your life, somebody struggling with anxiety, somebody struggling with depression. They probably don't want you to say anything. They probably just want you there. Somebody you want to visit, somebody's going through a hard time. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Like, well, I don't have the right words. I don't know what to say. I don't, I mean, I've, I got my grandma's verse crocheted on her pillow. I mean, maybe I'll borrow that. You don't have to have anything to say. Just, just, just be. Just be there. I'm here. Connect with them. No matter how alone you feel, I care about you, Elijah. I want you to know you're not alone. Even though you're in this cave, having a pity party. No. <laughs> Accepting. I care about you and what's going on in your life. Don't hold back. I'm here for you no matter what. Last one. Being trustworthy. There's, there's more on here. I'd like to know what's going on and I promise to keep it confidential. You can trust me if you need someone to confide in. I'm not here to judge you, but to show you that I care about you. Confess your faults one to another. Why? So that you can be healed. God can't heal what we hide. And I'm not saying you got to tell a priest, a pope, a pastor, or a doctor. You just got to tell somebody. And be honest. This is what I'm facing. This is what I'm going through. I feel like giving up. I feel like just throwing in the towel. Sometimes it's just good to hear yourself say it because you've been thinking it for seven months, right? And you've been going to that job that you don't like and that boss has it out for you and you know it. And then sometimes just getting it out helps. Come on, somebody. Is this, is this helping? Sometimes just getting it out helps. Third thing here. It, God asked Elijah the same question twice. What are you doing here? Elijah, you've ran from your family, you've ran from your friends, you've ran from everywhere I told you to go, and you're in this cave, in this worried cycle. And I think the third thing that we got to ask is, is we ask God to reveal where we are. Because Elijah was present, but he wasn't. And when you're really, really worried or going through something, it's hard to even have a conversation in the now 
because all you can think about is what's happening tomorrow. That's how I feel when I go to the dentist or whatever. You know what I'm saying? You know that fear. Or, or, I, got, I hate shots too, right? I don't like anything with needles. Okay, I'll just put that out there. Elijah was living in tomorrow. He was so worried. He was so upset. I mean, and, and, I mean this stuff, y'all, there's a book, there's a few copies left outside by Dale Carnegie called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And if you're just a champion warrior, you take that book home with you. You can have it. It's on me. But he talks about this, that, that what begins to happen when we are so fixated on the future. And this is really hard to not do right now. Because every time I read the news, I don't know the news that you read, but every time I read the news, it can feel like the sky is falling again. <laughs> like I thought it fell last year, it's falling again. I mean, so here we go. You know, it's like it can really, it, it, there's this tendency to just grab you and pull you in to tomorrow. But when we're present and we're in the moment, it's like this, me and you. I believe that's where God really begins to speak to us. So maybe you're not in tomorrow. Maybe you're in yesterday. Maybe something happened and you can't get past it. And you're worrying, concerned. About nine months into planning Upper Room Church, we were at the marina. And it was awesome. Um, it was God was blessing, and we had more people than we had chairs. And so we went to two, two services. It was a small building. I say that like you put 50 people in it. You know, no. Now, there's a couple, we could, you know, it was, it was a good problem to have. And so we went to two services, and it was awesome. And one, one after, um, after one, the first service, I had a, a gentleman come to me and say, I have to talk to you right now. I said, Sure. I've learned better now. <laughs> okay, now you're going to know after this story. Let's go back to my office. And it was just, just an awesome guy. He'd been coming for a while, just passing through, visiting, wasn't from here. He says, I, I have to tell somebody this. He was probably in his, in his mid to late 70s. He said, when I was 12, my mom asked me to watch my, my, my sister. And we were swimming. And I got distracted, and I stopped watching her, and she drowned. And it was my fault. And I've been carrying that around for 70 years. And he just started weeping. Started weeping. I don't know what I said. I prayed with him. I said, dude, you were 12. You've been carrying this around for how long? You've never told anybody this? No. Never told anybody this, but it was my fault. And so sometimes when we just get that stuff out, and it was a holy moment. I don't remember everything I said, but I hope it helped him because it wasn't his fault. He was 12, watching his little sister. Where was mom, dad? I don't know. You know, where was aunt, uncle, somebody? So, but again, he's been carrying that stuff around, the guilt and the shame and the weight whole life his whole life here's the last thing 
I want to give you this quote by Fulton Orsler. He said, many of us crucify ourselves between two thieves, regret of the past and fear of the future. Hear this. He says, many of us crucify ourselves between two thieves, regret of the past, shame, guilt, condemnation, fear of the future, uncertainty, pestilence, viruses, global warming, you name it, it's all there. And I think where we're supposed to stay and where God wants us to stay is right there in the center. And that's why Jesus said, confidently, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. <laughs> and I think I, I'm just going to fill in the gaps Stop losing sleep over your yesterdays. It's in the past. Let it go. Learn from it. But where are you, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? You're, you're, you're stuck in this rut. You're not present. You're not here. You're not doing what I've called you to do. You're not, you're not, you're not staying centered in me and, and, and who I am. You're not Isaiah 26, verse 3. God says, I'm going to keep you in perfect peace. Why? Because your mind is stayed on me. Because you trust in me. Elijah, what are you doing here? And here's my last point. We're going to pray. No matter where you find yourself, if you're a warrior, it's okay. Because I believe this with all my heart, that no matter where you may be, you might be in this cave this morning and feel just like Elijah. You feel alone, you want to give up, not much sunlight. I got good news for you. Doesn't matter where you are, God will meet you there. And that's what I love about the God that we serve. Is he's not afraid to walk into dark places. He's not afraid to walk into hopeless situations. He's not afraid to stare straight at depression, anxiety, and worry and say, you got to go. He's not afraid to walk up to the grave of Lazarus who had been dead for four days and say, take the stone away and bring me into him. His sister said, oh, he stinks by now. Jesus said, I don't care. The stinkiest, messiest, darkest places in your life I want you to know there's a God who will step right into those places and he will be with you and he will help you. And it may not come in the form that you thought it would come in. I'm sure Elijah was hoping for fire from heaven again. I'm sure Elijah was praying to take out Jezebel. Let that fire fall on her head, God. Right? Yeah, come on. You know, but you're not alone. So I want to pray, if you just bow your head, and I want to pray for somebody in here this morning. You just feel like nobody in the world knows what you're facing or understands what you're going through. And they may not, and I may not. 
I believe in this moment right now, God is moving. He's ministering to your heart. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Will you just let him in? Lord, we just thank you for peace this morning that passes understanding. We don't have to understand why, what, when, how, where. We don't have to understand what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't have to make sense of what happened to us yesterday. But we can trust you in the now, in this moment right here. We can trust you with our yesterdays and our tomorrows. So, Lord, we do that. We just, we give it to you, Lord. We give all the worry. We give all the uncertainty. We give all the the solutions and the, the doubt and the fear. Lord, we give it all to you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen.